You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. When the California Master Plan for Education was developed in the 1960s, I don't think that then-Governor Brown or Clark Kerr or the Board of Regents imagined a campus with a 500-foot ship parked outside its front door. They didn't imagine a California public university that taught courses in marine transportation or naval science. But they also didn't imagine a world as globalized as ours or perhaps even a university that had 94% of its graduates employed in very well-paying jobs. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Tom Cropper. He is the president of the California State University Maritime Academy in Vallejo. You've all passed it many, many times, and we're going to get an insight into what's happening there today. Tom, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here. In a way, while you've been there a while, and we'll talk a little bit about the history it, it seems like a well-kept secret because there are so many people, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, that pass by there, that see the big ship, the golden bear there. Right. And what, what is that? It says Cal Maritime Academy. What is that all about? Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a hidden gem, and we're working hard not to be hidden but still be a gem. And it's a uh, it it's very unique campus. It's, certain, it's the tiniest of the 23 campuses within the system. It's within the... Cal State University Cal, system. It is. California State University system. It joined mm-hmm. in 1995. Right. And talk a little bit about its history, how it came to be. Sure. Uh, the, the California legislature created the California Nautical School in 1929. And so they, uh, they held classes uh, in Tiburon uh, until the late 1930s when the Navy asked them to leave uh, they began making submarine nets in, the, in preparation for the the war, and so the uh, school moved onto a ship, the the uh, SS California, and ran across the bay and sat at the ferry building for a number of years, running classes off the ship at the ferry building, and then found a home in Vallejo in the early 1940s. And those original classes, what was the focus of of the school at that point, back when it was yes. on the ship and in those right. early days? So uh, the California Nautical School was really aimed at uh, creating officers for uh, shipping uh, and principally merchant shipping. So not, uh, not military shipping per se, but uh, for the merchant side of, uh, of the industry. So that, that started with a, a set of deck officers and engineers. Those were the two types of uh, officers that were required then on board. In a three-year school, no no bachelor's degree, uh, but a, a, a license to sail, and it wasn't really until the late 1970s when a, um, they transitioned to a four-year mm-hmm. school. And once it transitioned to a four-year school, talk a little bit about how it came into the uh, Cal State system. Sure, and uh, so this this more of a trade school started to morph into. A professional, uh, a professional college, and it was a it was under the state agency. It was a separate state agency, uh, uh, and it went through a number of uh, challenges with a number of governors. One was Governor Reagan, who blue lined California Maritime Academy at one point, and he was uh, convinced by one of uh, my uh, predecessors, uh, Joe Rizza, the the president, to to reinstate it to the California budget. So there were some budget woes with uh, maintaining this school for a number of years. There were some very um, thoughtful 
trustees from the California State University Board of Trustees who visited the campus saw what was occurring and um, made uh, a great effort up in Sacramento to not only save the institution, but to make it part of the Cal State University system. Mm -hmm. And certainly since 1995, I'm sure there's been a a much greater evolution even in terms of of the kind of stuff that is being offered, the kind of focus that Mm -hmm. the university has. Right. Uh, One, if you just focus on shipping, say from point A to point B, from Taiwan to L.A. Long Beach, and you just focus on engineering and the deck officer, well, then that's a small part of a, of a really global maritime profession. There's a lot of transmodal logistics. There are business decisions being made, environmental uh, policies to, that need to be followed. Um, there's manufacturing that's part of this. And so the school, to remain relevant to that, that change in the profession, has added in degrees beyond just the marine transportation and, and marine engineering. So now we have a facilities engineering degree that was uh, that came about because you had um, engineers from the ships who were being pulled off ships by places uh, like Genentech, mm. uh, by hospitals, by large uh, resorts because they had systems understanding and they were very capable. In fact, many of the hospitals in this area uh, still have Cal Maritime engineers on board. So that was the, the birth of the facilities uh, engineering technology degree. And then there was an addition of global studies in maritime affairs, which is really focused on the, this, this idea of this global maritime profession, the international politics, the geopolitics behind right. um, shipping, and then an international business and logistics, which really focuses on Okay, great. We got this ship to L.A. Long Beach. How do I get this T-shirt into onto a Target shelf in Kansas City? Right, that's the that's this long, long supply chain. Yeah, I mean, what we forget, I suppose, is that you know there's always all this talk, endless amounts of talk, most of it positive, some of it negative, about the realities of globalization today. But the fact of the matter is, the core of that really is transportation and the core of that is shipping right um 90 of the world's trade is moving over water right and 95 percent of the value is moving over water so um, that's no surprise 70 percent of the globe's covered by by the oceans so for that international trade and in, in, in the interactions um, you're going to need shipping and in fact you you may know the statistic. Somebody told me this once. The number of ships that are on the water at any given time is a staggering number. I don't know that number, but it's in the it's tens of lot. thousands. It's a lot, yes. Yes, yeah. globally. And so there are um, the International Maritime Organization has set standards for training and certification, watchkeeping, what have you, that every mariner on the globe is expected to follow. And so that's part of our curriculum mm-hmm. at the school. Talk a little bit about the size of the school. You mentioned it's the smallest of all the Cal States, right. but but how many students are there at any given time? How many come out of it? So we have uh, last year we had about eleven hundred and ten students, which is um, remarkable. If you go back maybe fifteen years or so, it's closer to three fifty to four hundred. So there's been a growth wow. in the student body. Um, it's calibrated growth, and we see ourselves growing. Uh, even beyond where we are now, maybe up to, say, 1,800. 
because that's probably the capacity, uh, you know, max capacity for the, the infrastructure and the space we have. But it's really focusing on responding to the industry. And so if the, if the industry is leaning a, a certain way, uh, we'll, um, we'll try to abide but uh, we, we expect to grow moderately, maybe 50 students a year over the next mm-hmm. 15 years. What are the changes in the industry in the past several years that you've had to respond to? Well, I think you, you talk about globalization. Um, the, the art of, of a mar- for a mariner is difficult to learn, but uh, globalization has allowed other mariners in other countries to learn and that's put uh, quite a bit of pressure on American shipping and um, Americans who are uh, sailing on American ships. So the American fleet, uh, the merchant marine fleet, has shrunk pretty significantly from 1,200 in 1951 to less than 100 today. So that's just the ships. And if you think, well, that's, that's creating a small market, you'd have, you'd have to also expand your idea of maritime. So every oil platform, every gas platform at sea requires a, a, a licensed merchant officer. All, all of those also require offshore support vessels. Uh, there's a lot of uh, support required for any ship that comes in. A tugboat captain is going to be a Maritime Academy graduate uh, more often than not. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of support within the, the industry. And so we've seen a move more to the support side, and not so much the transoceanic sailing. Mm-hmm. What role does the Navy play and those that have come through the Navy mm-hmm. or various aspects of it? I mean, for example, with, with respect to air travel, I mean, for a long time it was the case. Anytime you'd see a pilot on a major flight, well, he was in the Air Force, so the, mm-hmm. you know, right. flew in the Navy. And that may not be quite as true anymore. What, how many people come through the Navy that wind up in these jobs? Actually, very few. Uh, there's um, there's a set of requirements, as I mentioned, the International Maritime Organization. On top of that, you have U.S. Coast Guard requirements that are national requirements, and then the baccalaureate uh, requirements as well for any of our students. If you just start with those first two, someone coming out of the Navy is, is going to need to, to work on certifications for international and and national standards and it's yeah. it's quite an uphill battle uh, frankly based on even if they've had that experience right it's uh, kind of crazy but that's how it is right now uh, with the way the laws are set so there's a uh, move afoot in the u.s i was gonna say does that need to change in the or? congress to try to um uh, remedy th- that so that they can take some of their experience and mm-hmm. apply it to um, these requirements from international and national standards. And in, in the U.S. at least, is there a shortage of people for those jobs that have the appropriate certification? Right now, there's not a shortage. The, uh, the fear of the Maritime Administration in Washington, D.C., is that we're going to see the 50 and 60-somethings uh, approaching retirements, and there'll just be almost a tsunami of retirements. And so it's making sure that the there's capability uh, of, of a person and capacity in the numbers to fill those slots. And right now, it's, um, it's tenuous. You know, there are um, six state maritime academies. We're one of six uh, in the nation, the only one on the Pacific Coast. And wow. t- together, those six create 70% of the nation's maritime officers annually. So 
there's not a lot of extra capacity uh, right. to fill that need. And are there more ships being added all the time, ships being built, ships putting into service both domestically and internationally, I assume? Well, I I don't think there are that many being built in the U.S., although uh, there's this uh, law called Jones Act, which requires uh, movement of goods from U.S. port to U.S. port to, re- to be on a U.S. flagship, a U.S. built ship, mm-hmm. and more often a U.S. built ship, not necessarily requirement there, and have a U.S. crew. Uh, not you know you would not expect to fly from San Francisco International to Dulles on Air China, right? With Chinese pilots, so this there's this uh, idea that you're going to that you're required to have domestic U.S. pilots flying mm-hmm. within your your international air, your uh, your own domestic airspace. Same thing for, for shipping. Mm-hmm. But I do want to come back to your, your question about the Navy. While, uh, while there are a lot, lot of Navy people coming to us, we have a couple, maybe 2% a year of our grads who go into the services. Uh, but many, if not most, of the licensed uh, holding officers that Marine Transportation and Ships Engineer are going to go work for a military sea lift command. Which is growing and bringing uh, bringing on new ships, right? So that's more the connection to it's the uh, in the past it was called the fleet train, right? So that's the logistics. So when you think of what what do you mean by fleet train? Well, how do you get bullets and Bradleys and and um, food and supplies uh, overseas to wherever, like right? Wherever you want to go. Um, the things that are going to Afghanistan are most, you know, for our troops there, go by military sea lift. And so there's a lot of, I, I assume there's a lot of logistics training that is part of all of this. Yes, and that fact, that one major, that's where there's a lot more expertise in the logistics side. And it is transmodal. So let's say you do get a ship that comes into port. Well, what's next? Does it go to another ship? Does it go to a train? Does it go to a truck? And then it moves inland, and then it may change modes again. So the professors and those that are, that are teaching all of this, are they coming from academic ranks? Are they coming from the ranks of people that are doing this job, have done this job? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's a, it's a fabulous mixture uh, uh, of, of, of um, talent. We have, uh, you know, I'd say your, your straight-stick uh, Ph.D. candidate who's uh, – uh, receive their PhD, and now they're they're coming out into uh, academia, and right alongside them, you'll have someone who has twenty or thirty years of uh, experience on board a ship, and you put those two together, and they 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 play off one another. There's uh, the experience uh, of one and the the knowledge uh, and conceptual knowledge of the other, and it creates a very very strong faculty. And it's 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 a wonderful thing to see. So within the engineering technology, you know, we'll have a we have a brand new uh, PhD out of Berkeley, and then there's a 30-year ship's chief engineer working together on a project for, uh, for student learning. Very very powerful. Very cool. How did you get involved in this? Well, I was uh, I was in the Navy for 31 years, and um, I received a phone call from one of the students to tell me that the the uh, then president had uh, announced his retirement and, and that this this person knew that I'd wanted to be a college president someday so I said here's your chance so 
that student was my son. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> who was who he left, that, they left who that was a, to the end. <laughs> who was a cadet at the Maritime Academy, and so uh, my wife and I had visited uh, from Southern California several times. To and very impressed by what we saw and saw a very palpable transformation in our in our son. Uh, it, while he was there, and so we were just absolutely sold on the on the school. Is there any kind of a profile or, or any sense of of the student body that that really those that male and female, I assume, mm-hmm. you know, yes. I don't know what percentage that that come to uh, to the Maritime Academy? Well, uh, let me answer both. Uh, our goal is that in about four or five years, we'll have 30% of our incoming class uh, women as, uh, as women. Right now, we're knocking at the door at 20. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, we're progressively increasing this, and uh, the numbers of, of women on the campus, more sp- women's sports teams, things like this, so that we can um, offer those kind of opportunities at the accession level in, the, in a, a very big industry and lots, lots of opportunities. The student who comes to us is probably a similar to the student who would go to a Cal Poly uh, mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo. It's hands-on. They reinforce the concepts in the classroom uh, in the work outside. So as an example, uh, you're in a mechanical engineering class. So you're going to get the same theory concept that you would have at Berkeley. The difference is that you will then go into a machine shop. You'll build the part that you just designed, and then you'll take it to a test stand, and in that test stand, you'll see whether the theory is correct and so it's sort of it closes this loop and it's really effective uh really effective instruction mm-hmm. one of the things that i know that there are aspects of in the program and certainly it's going to become a bigger and bigger issue particularly with respect to being at sea is the environmental issue and how yes. that interfaces with this mm-hmm. talk a little about that well i think that's one of the uh, things that we Beyond the technical training that you get at the at the um, institution, our, our school, there's a we we focus on whole person. So you're going to get the you're going to get the academic uh, grounding, but there's a leadership dimension, and uh, it's a, we actually have a co-curricular leadership program, and within that program we address a lot of the things that are going to make you a good citizen, ashore and at sea. Um, but the ocean is, is the means by which you know people are going. You most of our grads are going to make their living, and we have to, we have a sense of stewardship that we kind of imbue in them on how we take care of this 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 beautiful ocean and make sure that it's um, it's uh, it's taken care of in a in a, on a very in a very personal way mm-hmm. you know, by by those who uh, who go to sea. The the ones that go to sea. Do you have them aging out, particularly mm-hmm. because that life of traveling all the oh, yeah. time and, mm-hmm. and being at sea all the time is not for everyone, or if it is, it's not for everyone forever? Right. In fact, that's one of the things we, we, we're we focusing on in this whole person is the building resiliency uh, for sea because it's, it's a tough life at sea more mentally. It's certainly physically difficult, but uh, mentally – um, and the mental resiliency, uh, sort of the spiritual resiliency that you need, is uh, very important. And I'd say that a, a number of folks, um, you know, at some point they get to the – some leave after they've, uh, their first sort of hitch. It's a, their license is good for five years. They'll leave after five to seven years. 
uh, and then transition to some sort of associated uh, work uh, on the shore side. Some stay at it because they just find a niche. They love it. They, mm-hmm. they love the lifestyle generally, but not exclusively. You sail for four months, and then you'll, you're home for four months. You're off for four months, and then back on for four. So, and, and your, your company is going to fly you to, to meet up with your ship. That's not the, the life for everyone, but some find that very attractive, right. and they have they have second careers that are sort of interleaved into these uh, periods between sea. Right. And speaking of being at sea, we have to talk about the Golden Bear, the ship that <laughs> everybody passes by and sees out there. They do. Um, I, I know our um, some of our favorite uh, sportscasters for the Giants uh, somehow thought it was the University of California's right. Golden Bear, and I think that probably confuses folks. But it is the Cal State University Maritime Academy's ship. It's uh, it's 500 feet. It's uh, actually owned by the Maritime Administration, the Federal Maritime Administration, provided to uh, the State Maritime Academy to uh, conduct training. So. It's used throughout the year, so the students are learning on board uh, throughout the year, and then for the for four months in the summer, it's out. So right now, it's out on its second uh, training term. Mm-hmm. The first uh, left April 23rd and returned June 20th, and then left on the 23rd with a new batch of of uh, cadets, and should be back the end of August. But they're uh, they're on a uh, adventure. This uh, first. Uh, the first cruise, as it's called, went to uh, El Salvador and then to Hawaii, Seattle, and then home. And, um, you know, that that ship's gone many places. Uh, about two years ago, it was in the Mediterranean in Naples, Italy, and went to um, Palma de Mallorca and Barcelona, Boston, Massachusetts. So how does it get decided where it's going to go each trip? Well, we, we try for the for those cadets who are going out to sea to give them two different experiences, one in the Pacific and one in the Atlantic, oh. and um, also one which, which is a longer-range cruise, which is a long reach into, say, Europe or Asia, which is what we'll do next, uh, next summer, and then a, a shorter cruise, which is coastal U.S. And in the coastal cruise and this long reach, uh, for those who have um, – had to teach a teenager to drive. You know, dry, teaching someone to drive in a parking lot is different than an interstate. <laughs> so <laughs> the coastal cruise has a lot of traffic. You're in the uh, in the parking lot, uh, and then on these long reaches, it's more interstate driving. It's mm-hmm. an interesting <laughs> analogy. <laughs> and talk a little bit about going forward. Some some changes in the future, maybe, or what are the what, what's what's new there? Well, I think that. Uh, we really focus on staying relevant. Right. Uh, probably that's the that's the one thing that you would see is t- and, and to be able to change and be agile enough to adapt to to changes. So what's one one is oceanography. Uh, we're probably we'll be adding in an oceanography degree, physical oceanography, tides, currents. Um, there's more interest in using the ocean bottom for some interesting things beyond just, um, you know, drilling for, um, for minerals. So things like offshore aquaculture, which uh, includes making modern medicine using the seabed. It's almost a return to, you know, sea lab in right. the, the days of the 70s. So that's very interesting. And, and exploration of the, 
the floor of the oceans. Geothermal energy. Yes, lots. So lots of opportunities there. So we look at that. We look at offshore wind, uh, floating mm-hmm. terminals, tidal energy, uh, renewable types of energy. So that's uh, that's also important to us. Uh, the the autonomous car, uh, the autonomous um, ship probably is coming. We want to be at the forefront on how that's that's that concept, how that's designed so that it makes sense for mariners and w- that it's covering all sort of all the bases, as it were, for for us sea and, and survivors at sea and how, how you would uh, operate. So really thinking about how this gets how those uh, industry gets modern or moves to a more modern Not to state. mention that piracy is still out oh, there. Oh, yes, right. So uh, I spend a lot of time as the president speaking to leaders in industry and um, maybe some time with thought leaders on the, the 10 to 15 years out. That's about how long it takes us you know, in adapting with finding new curricula, developing that, and getting a, a student out. It's about six or eight years. Very exciting stuff. It's wonderful. Well, I thank you so much, Tom, for coming oh, in and uh, great. bringing us up to speed on it's all of this. wonderful. I really appreciate the thank opportunity. You. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.